0: The viewpoint weekdays eight to ten PM on SAFM Song is on my baby on the viewpoint. Six minutes past eight in the evening, the day has finally come for I have been waiting it for the longest time, a mentor to many, a role model, not to South Africans, not to Africans, to the world at large, one of the most gifted scholars ever to enter the halls, the very hallowed halls of Oxford University. I have the rare honor and the rare privilege to sit now literally two meters away from him and would you believe it? Ask him questions about his 66 years of life and in these 66 years how he has engaged himself, his society. I'm going to engage him on his vulnerabilities, which vulnerabilities offer for many South Africans that inspiration that only Justice Edwin Cameron can offer. Good evening, South Africans. Of course, you may call us on 891 Please just give me some 15 minutes to sort of settle the judge in and just get one or two questions out of the way before, obviously, you participate in the conversation. Because as much as it is my singular honor to be in his physical presence and company, he is in your car, he is in your home, he's alongside you on the hospital bed, he's with you at work, and you are tuned in from all over the world, dare one say. This is as much my moment and privilege, yours as well, to engage Justice Edwin Cameron, oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. Good evening, Judge. How are you?
1: It's a great pleasure to be here, Songezo, and it's been a long time since you were a law clerk in the Constitutional Court. Twenty fourteen, it was. Absolutely wonderful to to have be, made touch with you again, and very wonderful to be on your show this evening, Judge.
0: Thank you so much, and more importantly, I think I need to say this up front: I have always been humbled by how incredibly affable you are, and and what I say is not in in any way an affront to your colleagues on the bench, but the idea that one can literally walk into Justice Edwin Cameron's office and sit down and be open and vulnerable about some things that we seldom talk to because of the whole deference of clerks and judges. I think you were the one judge who was in many respects able to transcend necessary boundaries between clerks and judges, but almost with an uncanny ability to be appropriate about it and knowing when To be approachable, affable, allowing us to be vulnerable in your office, Mm -hmm. which in itself has so many stories to tell. I do appreciate that. Um, And the book will come. We spoke about it in 2014. But equally, I think I extend my appreciation on behalf of the clock body at large since the time you were there, both in an acting capacity and in a full-time capacity. Those corridor conversations as well, clocks appreciate that. Mm. They might not say it, but they do. Mm. Mm, I that's think so. h- That's how you engage the law, yes. w- without being formal, yes. without being in court, without sitting in a clerk's meeting or sort of advising you after conference or just before a judge's conference. Mm. Just having a conversation about a question of law in the corridor with a judge.
1: But I think, Songhezo, we should tell your listeners that what is unique about the Constitutional Court and what the Constitutional Court introduced to the South African judiciary were the concept of law clocks. Young, bright as buttons, top of their law class South Africans who are ambitious about the law, who believe in the Constitution, and want to work for a judge for a year. And the clerks are very influential. They're a vibrant, forward-looking body of young South Africans, and they really inspire the court. So for me, it was a great privilege over those 11 years in the court to work with the law clerks.
0: And are you aware that law clerks, especially for instance in terms or instances where a judge would be unavailable for long leave, Or because of a retirement and they had to go to another chamber in a holding capacity before an acting judge would come in and take over, the one who has just recently vacated office. Clerks would fight and it became personal to be assigned, if for a month, in the chambers of EC. (laughs) Are you aware of that? (laughs) If she's listening, Cherise Thakur who was my senior, if you like, in yes. the Chambers of TS. Yes. Justice Tamburis Kweya, that yes. is. He left May 2014. Yeah,
1: he had to step down. Yeah. Correct.
0: Yeah. And for two to three months, we had to, Andrew Warehouse and I, and we'll get to him, went to Justice Malanga because he was just the closest. Yes. Cherise was prepared to walk all those 50 to 60 <laughs> meters for an EC Chambers conference every morning because these were her words to me, guys, I'm going to EC, and I'm prepared to fight you for the right to be in his chambers.
1: Well, we had a wonderful learning and, and giving session together, Sharice Takur and I. She now works for the Helen Sisman Foundation, doing very important work there.
0: She does. Yeah. Judge, let's talk about some of the matters that we would really like to tease out of you, and in many respects to offer some inspiration to a country that, for most of its part, If you just look at the news on any given topic, at any given hour, (laughs) any given day, there's a lot of despondency. Mm. And not least what I was very moved to produce on yesterday, together with my wonderful team of producers, Lesejo, Vanessa, they're smiling, Phineas. Mm. South Africa is under siege. South Mm. African women are under Mm. siege. Yeah, Yeah. And it's it's one of the great tragedies in our democracy.
1: It's a day of great grief, and so much of it is personified by that young person in Cape Town, Uyinene, And I think she's touched all of our hearts and the anguish of what happened to her and the outrage of what happened to her and the pure tragedy of what happened to her and how you and I uh, embody mm-hmm. that male yes, power and absolutely. that male privilege and that male appropriation which eventually is expressed in, in, in acts of domination and violence and it's I I, I hope this is going to be some form of turning point for all of us we mustn't say them we must say us yes I fully agree judge and
0: I mean you you hit the nail on the head I I, I cannot speak as though I'm any better than the individual who is the perpetrator of this heinous crime against Uyunena by virtue of being a male and enjoying a supremacy of kind that doesn't allow me to have the kinds of worries that a woman has by virtue of being a woman Irrespective where she may be.
1: We all are purveyors of male power in some way, and the more we become aware of it, the more we can contribute to the solution.
0: February 1953. Hmm. A young boy is born.
1: (laughs) Indeed. 66 and a half years ago.
0: Tell us about growing up as Edwin Cameron and the trials and tribulations
1: early on in your life. Well... Two things, uh, Songheza, which were important. White, white, Mm. white, white, white. white. In apartheid South Africa where whiteness is prized and blackness is denigrated and subordinated and not prized. Poor, poverty, fractured family, uh, uh, father not able to look after us because of an alcohol compulsion. And my sisters and I end up in a children's home in Queenstown. But I get my big breaks because I'm white. I get into an excellent high school, Pretoria Boys High, and that opens the path for me to Stellenbosch, to a Rhodes Scholarship, and to a legal career. So those were the two definitions. Of course, later, my consciousness of myself as not a straight heterosexual person (laughs) but a gay person becomes the third factor Mm. in my life that defines my political response to the people around me And to what I should do with my life.
0: We're going to get to the third factor because this is going to obviously enjoy prominence for most South Africans can identify at least publicly with that part of who you are. But at a private level, those first two factors are definitive in many respects and can come to characterize an entire life. It could quite easily have been a very different story for Edwin Cameron because of the circumstance at home. Yes. And how the majority of South Africans still to this day across the color divide. Are afflicted by circumstances that they are born into, not because yes. they in any way
1: fashion them for themselves. And the state does not give them the opportunities they deserve to get out of that, because of the huge investment in in education for white kids. Mm. I got into an outstanding government school, Absolutely. Victoria Boys High, and that's what gave me the leg up. But we failed our young people in our educational system in the townships and and the rural areas. So I think. We need to do a lot better because there are many people in poverty who would be able to change their lives if they were given stronger opportunities in secondary and tertiary
0: you go to pretoria boys after having spent some time in an orphanage in queenstown incidentally i come from here whittlesea which is some 35 k's outside of queenstown and that circle the hexagon it's entrenched in my memory you were there little did i know so many years later when i would be born our pods would meet at the concord You in Pretoria, you excel. You get offered a position as a scholar of law at Stellenbosch, Afrikaans-dominated society Mm. at that time, Mm. especially.
1: Mm. Where are you with your sexuality in all of this? Oh, deeply closeted, terrified, ashamed. And that, of course, is the result of, of a society that heavily penalizes and heavily stigmatizes sexual diversity, LGBTI people. Yes. So that, that was my life, uh, a desperate attempt to conform, to deny, to suppress. Uh, but in the end, you have to be what you are. You can't deny that you're a black or a white person or a male or a female or someone <coughs> in between of, of some uh, gender or sexuality, nor can you deny your sexual orientation, and eventually I come to grips with it. And irrespective of what the order was in terms of establishment and
0: institutionalization, what equally couldn't be denied of you was your academic prowess. BA Law Honours Degree in Latin, both Cum Laude, both your undergrad as well as your Honours Degree. And you lectured, you went on to lecture in Latin and Classical Studies before going on the Coveted Roads Scholarship in the UK, Oxford. Was that in any way assisting you remain some, maintain some relevance? some traction as a white male because you were losing it for the while you were the person you were closeted. You were, you were constrained in many respects. Did that give you some sort of social traction, at least that you were able to ace
1: your studies? Undoubtedly, as long as uh, what happens to me at Oxford, at Stellenbosch, I'm quiescent, I'm conformist, and I'm ashamed of that still to this day. I go to Oxford, and in September 1977, most terrible atrocity is committed by the apartheid government. A brilliant young Xhosa-speaking yes. man, mm. not far from Witulsey, correct, is, is bludgeoned, is bludgeoned to death. Stephen Bantu Biko. Yes. And it makes waves across the whole world. It's only fifteen months after the Soweto uprising. Correct. And Steve Biko. And I start reading banned in South Africa, suppressed, banned, restricted. Yes. I start reading and he has a brilliant consciousness of race, of whiteness, of blackness, of where the two should meet. And it's not in the way that white liberals want to meet, nor in the way that the apartheid supremacists want to meet. And to me, it's a revelation. So a pivotal moment in my own consciousness of injustice uh, in South Africa, racial injustice and social injustice, happens at Oxford.
0: There are many who are your contemporaries, certainly in terms of age and who meet your demographic, who would argue. For instance, I had a conversation with my former deputy headmaster who was at Rhodes University, and he said the first time he engaged what you have just talked about, which was a lived experience for many South Africans who were my colour, was he had to be overseas to consume that sort of media and the brutality of. Was it really as censored, in the country such that just by virtue of your being white living, say, in an area classified for whites, you really were unaware what was going on across the highway to the black communities?
1: I don't think so. Not unaware of the fact that there was white domination and white privilege and white exclusive uh, access, Songheza. So if any white person who lives through that, what people can say they're unaware of is the horror of it and the perniciousness of it, but not unaware of the facts, because we live them every day. So, uh, I, 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 I certainly wasn't unaware, but the consciousness of, 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 of the injustice and the outrage and the fact that it didn't have to stay that way, because Steve Beaker was a very empowering philosopher. Mm. You know, change, uh, change through your own anger, change through your own consciousness. So uh, that, that, those insights came abroad, and of course, just to get back to your point about censorship, yes, there wasn't the internet. The internet came 20 years later, and there weren't social media, so mm. it was very effective. You could stop someone from being printed and published and disseminated, you could stop people knowing about it.
0: It's 20 past, Justice Edwin Cameron in the House, in person, just touched his hand i'm not washing my hand for the whole week that's what we did when we met our heroes judge cameron and you are no less a hero just because you're a former constitutional justice we're taking your calls 0891 104 207 right after the break please stay tuned
1: the viewpoint 8 to 10 pm
0: flipping conventional wisdom on its head on the viewpoint Justice Cameron in the house. As long as I'm a bed on the viewpoint, 891 Please remember, when you do call, keep your comment or question short and sweet. I would imagine the lines would be teeming for persons wanting the opportunity to engage in the truest sense, the people's judge, Justice Edwin Cameron. Judge, we're talking about censorship. We're talking about the 1970s. You are in Oxford. Let's talk about how you just literally rewrote the books, literally figuratively. In Oxford, you rewrote the books, everything that had been done until you're entering those hallowed corridors. You pretty much, if in sporting terms, you broke those records. And to keep the analogy, those records stand today. Explain that. That is a mind-boggling
1: thing. Well, I, I did excel academically, but I think what matters more is what you take out of it and what you become as a human being After applying yourself and what human qualities you had to exhaust in order to get there. So the the academic paper and the academic achievements don't matter. Okay, you're not going to fool me into not exploiting this because it is an
0: incredibly powerful South African story that there's a name, Edwin Cameron, that is the lodestar for every single scholar who is a Rhodes scholar. I mean, that's the creme de la creme in the world and you become their beacon, academically. You, you can't, might as you try, downplay that. Let's talk about that, because that must have done tremendously, it must, it must have done something for you, surely, even at an ego level, for you to know you're the best in the business in Oxford, this hallowed institution.
1: Yes, of course, one is young and ambitious, and you're greedy for affirmation, you're greedy for achievement, you're greedy for your CV. So when you put your finger on it, you, uh, when, when you said even at ego level, yes, certainly, Songheza. Uh, but what do you take out of it? Getting back to my question, which you, do you don't take want out to answer. Yes. I, I, th- I think you, you, you take out of it that pure intellectual attainment matters nothing in the world of humanity between people. W- what, what do you take from your ability to analyze a concept or analyze a problem at human level, and there, pure intellect doesn't give you the edge. I think the are, are other qualities of, of humaneness, of humanity, of insight, of empathy, of listening, of, of, of understanding, which are more important. I know that's not what you want to hear. No, no, no. I,
0: I think say. it's an important feature of who you are because that feeds directly into the volatile period of the 80s, both personally for you as well as for the country. And that aspect that you took out, which is outside the books, that humanity, that value for people, not only are you dealing with your own personal conflicts and internal contestations of who you are in the South African society that is starkly different to the British society from which you've just come back on top of the world in the truest sense, you're brought back to reality Hmm. in many respects. Tell us about the
1: 80s now, because this is where really the Cameron we know now is really formed. 1982, pass laws. Outside 13% of the country, black people can only be in so-called white areas by permission of the boss. Mm. You have to carry your passbook. If you don't, you're arrested. Hundreds of thousands of black people are processed through, th- through the pass courts. Rigid residential separation. Rigid job reservation. Until 1979, a criminal offense for mm. a black person to belong to or to start a trade union. It starts to change in 79. By 1982, you've got the unfair labor practice and the industrial court. So change is happening, but apartheid is very much still alive. More important yes. than apartheid is the spirit of resistance. The spirit of resistance that manifested in the defiance campaign in the 1950s yes. manifested at so Sharpeville right, in the marches. Yes, the marches from and in, in, in Cape Town before Sharpeville. Mm-hmm. And the spirit of defiance in the Durban uh, strikes of 1974. Industrial action was, exactly. yes. Exactly. And then the uprising in Soweto. All of that history mm. is defiantly compressed in the uprising that then takes place in the 1980s through the United Demo- uh, Democratic Front. 1983, two years on, state of emergency, PM of Alberta starting to panic. Exactly. And And the union movement. The union movement which the Apartheid government realizes it can't put the pressure, cook lid on, uh, uh, the pressure cooker lid on anymore. And, of course, there's a young man who starts the fastest-growing movement, mm-hmm. the National Union of Mine Workers. He's called Surahama Posa. Mm. He learns things. He learns democracy. He goes from hostel to hostel, from mine to mine. Yes. He forms branch committees. He forms regional committees. He forms provincial committees. He learns the hard way what it's necessary to organize in order to make people empower themselves. And that was a brilliant teaching. He's a, a gifted and inspirational and charismatic young leader. That is the 80s in South Africa. And he came full circle with his relationship with the mines, didn't he? Yes, it did. He certainly did. Something to celebrate? You're trying to provoke me, and I'm not going to be provoked.
0: <laughs> we'll get there. You will You will engage. Justice Edwin Cameron, ladies and gentlemen, 891 104 is in the house. And... It's amazing just to be here, and if you don't call, trust me, I'm not going to be punting these indefinitely. It's a singular honour for me to be in studio with Justice Edwin Cameron having a full-on conversation at my behest, might I say, at my place of calling, might one add, Justice Edwin Cameron. So please do contribute, 891 Ask any questions, but please keep it short so that we can get as many persons on the line as possible. Fra- um, I'm not sure if this is a... Frank Talk from Mangawong. Quite a name. Frank Talk, good evening.
2: Good evening and uh,
3: good evening to justice. Um, I'm, you know, I'm quite excited that justice like me was influenced by Frank Talk and um, Steve Beagle, um, you know, um, and all our consciousness comes from there. Uh, I just want to ask two quick questions and I want to congratulate justice for all what he has done for justice in this country. But there are just two quick questions. Uh, one is Amongst the chief justice that you have worked with, uh, which one, you know, you rank high and why? And the other easy question is, South Africa is confronted with an immigration problem, you know, for lack of a better word, I'll call it that. How best do you think uh, we should deal with this issue? Um, You know, we've got asylum seekers, we've got refugees, and we've got economic immigrants, you know, to what an extent can South Africa keep on taking as many immigrants and how best do we deal with this issue? And, and I know
4: the awesome. judiciary
3: has, has pronounced itself differently on, on, on a number of court cases, starting with the SCA one um, on Somali Associations versus as well, the NDC of Economic Development in the
0: Libobo. Awesome. Thank you so much. Frank Talk calling Thank us you. from Mangawong. <laughs> Emma Atheni, we go to
1: Joe? Joe?
4: Hi, good evening, uh, so i and the Judge. How are you?
1: We are well, thank you. How are you? Nice nice to meet you, Joe. Excellent. Thank you.
4: Excellent, excellent. Judge, I just want to say to you that I think uh, you you contributed quite immensely, you know, in the uh, future of this country. And, you know, being in the field of law, you know, I mean, has, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, encouraged a lot of us, you know, to go into this field. Um, um, you know, in the olden days, you know, I got a diploma, Uri, you know, so, mm. you know, I couldn't uh, Going to you know the uh, field of law, uh, I ended up in the mining industry. But law is law; you use it everywhere. On the traffic, when you cook, you know, when you get married, and everywhere. Mm. And, uh, I remember very well, you know, you know when we when I started, there were this uh, words that are, were very difficult for me. You know, words like local standard, <laughs> and uh, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the the the, 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 the those, those 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 were the words that you know I you know made me enjoy law. Uh, I'm, I'm, I must say, you know, thank you very much for the contribution, Judge. Uh, and uh, you are one of the people that made me believe that not all South Africans are racist. And uh, I think, you know, keep it up and, uh, you know, your contribution is worth it. Nice. Thank so. you,
1: Joe. Thank you so much, Joe. Joe. Joe, that was a beautiful call. We
0: appreciate that. Jason in Peter Maritzburg, good evening.
4: Good evening.
2: Um, firstly, just want to say congrats on our wonderful... Life. I didn't know too much about you until your retirement, actually. Um, but just obviously, I'd like to know from you what do you think would be the one thing that would help South Africans through the current um, upheaval that we find ourselves in, regarding you know, especially not not even race politics, but just how do you think is the best way for us to move forward from?
1: where we are right now. Sure. Well, Jason, just just in one word, I think we need uh, economic growth and development. We need people to have jobs. We need people to have less debt. I think that's the issue that worries many, many, many families, both working class and middle class families. But of course I'm not an economist and I'm not a politician and I'm Mm. not a social planner. Can we get back to Frank Talk's two questions? Correct. I like his the name he called himself. Frank him, so. Talk. Yes, I love I love it very much. <laughs> yeah, immigration uh, and exactly, working with the Chief Justice. Exactly. I, I want to start with the second first song, because it's one that worries us a lot, and we've seen on our television screens the last few days, even last week, the terrible scenes of South Africans hounding non-South Africans out of their shops, looting their shops, burning in their, their informal homes. And It's 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 you've got to be careful as a lawyer not to preach, but we've got to see this regionally. Look at Trump. We spurn Trump. We laugh at him for thinking he can build a wall across the southern states of America. Yes, Yes. In order to wall off America from the rest of the world. Yes. And while I wouldn't ridicule President Trump, we've got an important uh, foreign relationship with with the country he represents, I think the ridicule for the wall is well warranted. We cannot wall ourselves off. One of the reasons we don't have apartheid any longer is that our neighbouring states didn't wall the themselves states, it, and the apartheid government couldn't wall us off. So the solution lies somewhere in regional cooperation and development. But the one fact that we can state for all South Africans is that we cannot build walls to keep people out. We've got to deal with it. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't abolish citizenship, ab- abolish permanent residence, abolish uh, work permits and so on. But we have to face the fact that we are stuck on this continent with its 750 million people, of which we are less than 10%. And that's where we've got to start when we try to think of when Frank asks what, what is the answer. Chief Justices, shall I answer? Please. Well... I was always going to ask that question, so please. What fantastic. did you mean from who? And I think who you really s- made that impression? I think you asked Frank to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say I had, I had the great privilege of working with four Chief Justices. In fact, all four Chief Justices of the democratic era. Chief Justice Arthur Chaskelson, Chief Justice Pierson-Kwanzo-Langa, Chief Justice Sandile Ngobo, and Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng. Absolutely yes why why that fond look upon your face do you want to i worked with him too shall i say? express your own views
0: <laughs> no I, I i worked with him i worked yes, in a court in which exactly. he was the cj and it was absolutely. a singular honor to have been there at that absolutely. time absolutely
1: i agree what did you get from who well from chief justice arthur chaskelson i got the utter rigor he was an intellectually commanding person deeply committed to social justice, deeply committed to the law and to process, uh, in some ways an austere man, but a, a very loving man, a uh, very, very principled, rigorous man. Chief Justice Pius Langa, very different, a milder man, a, a very, very sweet man of profound integrity. He started as as a court messenger. Mm. He graduated to That's court right. interpreter. Mm. He graduated from there to being a magistrate. From there... He became a counsel at the bar. He then became senior counsel and became a justice in the country's highest court. Not that any of those other jobs should be uh, spurned or or, or treated with condescension. But nevertheless, in one lifetime to have done so many different jobs, remarkable man, a man of profound humility, a man who was committed to non-racialism and I think was deeply injured by the vagabonds who tried to impugn his commitment to non-racialism. Chief Justice Sandile Ngobo, very, very different, mm. not uh, from, from the, the kind of social background, although both were from uh, KZN. Uh, KZN. Chief Justice uh, Sandile Ngobo f- uh, was an Nkosi, from f- uh, f- uh, south of Durban. Very, very different. He was Chief Justice for, for two years only because of the term limits. And then, of course, since 2011, for the past eight years, we've had Chief Justice Mughueng Mughueng, who, whatever you think of him, has been a phenomenon. He's been a phenomenon in the court, a phenomenon in the country, a phenomenon in Africa. And I think he's been a phenomenon through his utter fearlessness. He has been devoted to the Constitution. He says, regardless of my religious beliefs, my religion requires me, when I took an oath, to obey the Constitution, to fulfill that oath. So help me God. Yeah, exactly. And rigorous in his fight against corruption, his belief in the vision of well-governed African peoples and well-governed African countries. And that has been very inspiring. We've differed profoundly on many cases, and yet we've shared a devotion Mm. to the values in the Constitution and to the vision of social justice that it offers. You said Chief Justice Ngobo was different. You, without elaborating, what did you mean by that? He was temperamentally different. Very te- Chief Justice Pius Langa was a very mild man. Uh, Chief Justice Sandele Ngobo was a more temperamental man, a more a more a more labile man, a very deeply learned man. He loved to write judgments. He was a scholarly man. He was a, a, a man of books, uh, a man of learning. Uh, and of course, also a doer. He wrote many judgments which are still cited today, uh, eight years after he left. So, in temperament, he was very different. And also in his output, he was very different. He very much liked to be a judge who would go to his chambers, reflect on the issues. and and start writing a judgment. I
0: might say that I've also had the pleasure of working alongside former Chief Justice at the Health Market Inquiry at the Competition Commission. And some of these issues that you're bringing to the fore really are consistent with my experiences because if there's one thing, irrespective of the temperament that you speak of, that he is absolutely in the truest sense a judge on. He vexes with the most minute detail in law because he understands that context changes with one word or indifference in the interpretation of one line and he will vex with an issue almost irritatingly so because for him it is important to make very sure that he understands what the parties want and which is more he he does what he is required to do as somebody who has to orbit if you will what is he required to do he can be a real stickler in a word yes stickler absolutely let's take Scully In that order, Scully and Romeo from Durban and Pretoria, respectively. Good evening, Justice Cameron in the house.
5: Good evening to you, Sanchez. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Sanchez, thank you for ever bringing Judge Cameron onto your show. I really thank you. And I am really honored, honored, man, you know, speaking, saying hello to Judge Cameron. Hello to you, sir.
1: How are you, Scully? Nice to speak with you.
5: Okay, sir. Just a bit disheartened with the going ons in our country at the moment, with our beloved country. Um, I thank you, thank you, Judge, for being there for us and and, and bringing some change into the justice system. Uh, I thank you, man. My, my only point is, uh, I don't want to be a uh, uh, too long. Um, what do you think of our our voting system? Do You think we should need a, a new changing system like that? I listen on the radio. I'm honored speaking to you, sir. Yes, please don't leave us. It's uh, to be in the justice.
1: Oh, thank thank you, not Scully. Blessed. Can I quickly thank just you, answer, Scully? Sure. I, I've got good news for you, Scully. There is a case before the Constitutional Court right now brought by non-governmental organizations and individuals that challenges mm, mm. the uh, voting system, which says it shouldn't only be through political parties. That Section 19 uh, of our Bill of Rights get there. should be able to be interpreted. And we are considering that case right now. We're exchanging memos and views. It's a fascinating... Of course, because I sat in the case before mm, I stepped mm, down mm. two weeks You're ago. You're not done. Your contribution is not done. So I can... and. Part of the evidence before us was brought to us by Parliament that said we are reconsidering this. So, Scali, don't, don't, don't despair. I think there will be movement, whether it's through a judgment of the court or something the court says in a judgment or through Parliament, things will be happening.
0: For the record, and for those of you who are scholars on this particular subject, just Google the name Frederick van Sel Slabert. 2003, he was commissioned by the Department of Home Affairs to look at exactly this very issue by the IEC if whether or not the election process, as it then was, which hasn't changed since, is functional and should be continued or discontinued. And he makes some revealing findings and recommendations for the system. That document is the property of the Department of Home Affairs because this conversation is happening with Justice Cameron here and there will be a judgment coming out. I will resist the temptation to have a discussion on it because I do want to have the benefit of a concord judgment to further, if you will, delineate on the vexing obvious political considerations that will feed the basis of that judgment and whatever the submissions are in that regard. It's 2041. I beg your pardon. We have to take an ad break. Otherwise, we will be cut mid-sentence. We'll be back with Justice Edwin Cameron. 0891 Please do give us a call. Your time is running out. 19 minutes and counting. 2040. To justice Edwin Cameron recently retired constitutional court justice 25 years on the bench he has finally derobed and he will never be required to do that again and that's the only thing he's not going to be required to do his legal mind is as much value to the country now in retired life as it has been in all of his judicial life both as a counsel and as a jurist you were sorry we've got Romeo on the line as well good evening Romeo
2: Good evening to you, my brother, and good evening to your guest Mr Edwin. Uh good evening, and,
1: uh our, uh our
2: justice um our judge, the former judge. Um I just want to ask you some few questions or maybe just one question.
0: With appreciate. That. With the
2: ongoing of all this violence of all walks of life we see violence in women women are killed like we are killing chickens we see violence uh in foreign nationals we see violence in trucks we see violence all over what do you think we should do to correct this uh, the violence that is happening is it are we supposed to put the harsh sentencing To make it, to send a message Mm. out there, whoever wanted to do it, knows that he is going to face a harsher sentence so that people will not do it.
1: What do you think
2: should be done?
1: Thank you, you, Romeo. You're asking a wonderful question, Romeo. I can say one thing very quickly, which is that we know that harsh sentences on their own don't stop crime. What stops crime is when people know that they will be brought to justice even if the sentences aren't such harsh sentences. But what has happened in South Africa, especially in the nine years of the previous presidency, is that the administration of justice was taken over for apparently other purposes. We still, the Zondo Commission, Deputy Chief Justice Zondo is investigating that. But crime intelligence, the head of the prosecuting authority, the police itself... We had a succession of leadership crises there and that meant that everything was suffering. So the way of containing social discontent, the way of containing rage, the way the way the, the, the means of protecting mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. other people's anger and violence mm-hmm. disintegrated during those nine years. It was a catastrophe.
0: Another catastrophe.
1: Well let me just add one thing to that, please, Songezo which is that we are recovering. We've got the head of national prosecutions who was brought back from from The Hague, from the International Criminal Court, with outstanding credentials. We've got professional people being appointed to all the right things. It'll take time. It'll take time for the country to heal. It'll take time for crime intelligence to start working again. And then I believe that we will slowly get the the order uh, reestablished. Thank you, Judge.
0: You mentioned catastrophe. It no longer is now, but on 19 December 1986, it sure was. Mm. Mm. Tell us about that fateful phone call.
1: Well, it's, it's important that you raise that, Songheza, because I want to tell your listeners this. I'm going to start at the end. Indeed. Which is that for the last 20 years, 22 years, in November this year, it will be 22 years that I've been living on antiretroviral therapy. If I had not started on ARVs, in November 1997 I would certainly have been dead by the end of the year 2000 because the median survival time for someone in my position was two and a half three years so these last 19 years have been a gift to me I would not be sitting here with you I would not have served in the Appeal Court I would not have served in the Constitutional Court but you are speaking That's very sobering it's sobering but it's also hopeful Because we have seven and a half million people in our country living with HIV. Many people listening to us now Mm. have brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, children, parents affected with HIV. Exactly. Exactly. Songhez is putting up his hand because not a single family in our country isn't. But it's still a disease of silence and a disease of shame. It doesn't have to be. So uh, the message is a positive one that there's medical means to manage this the epidemic is not an epidemic of sexual shame. The epidemic is an epidemic of some factor, some cofactor, which is unique to Central and Southern Africa because there's no epidemic in West Africa. So people don't see that. This is not about black people, about blackness. It's not about the way black people have sex, which is what the debate was when President Mbeki was in office. It's got nothing to do with that. There are other epidemiological factors. Mm. So... If we can get to the fact that this is medically manageable, it'll improve us. But to go back to my diagnosis at a time when there was no treatment, devastating shame, stigma, fear, silence. I experienced all that. And the reason I talk now, the reason I've been talking since I got well all those years ago is that people are still experiencing that now. they are people being diagnosed today who feel ashamed, who feel blamed, who feel condemned, who feel ostracized. It's a big job, but we can do it because medical science and social power are on our side. You were 33 at Cal's at Witz
0: University. You were a rising star legally and your work was increasing tenfold given what was happening in the sort of let South Africa be rendered ungovernable in the 80s. With industrial action taking place, you are also knowing what you know and who you are, participating heavily in the industrial spaces, and labour rights and employment issues, developing policies on HIV and AIDS, related um, governance issues, if you will, and all of those protocols that came with that. But there was that, as you have referred to, 19 December, silence. That silence where the only thing you hear is your inner voice and the fact that certainly as at that time, that was a death sentence.
1: It certainly was. By the time I was diagnosed, the death toll in the United States was hundreds of thousands. We knew that the epidemic was going to take hold in Africa in a very different way from what it took hold on the East Coast, West Coast, Western Europe, Australasia. Yes. Because it had already hit Uganda so terribly Mm. in the mid-1980s. So there was terrible fear in our country, but we didn't think it would happen, and we were wrong. We need to be humble as South Africans. That's another point about the cross-border migrants whom we call foreigners and various all sorts of names yes we need to be more humble because we think we are exceptional but we are vulnerable to the same human frailties and hiv was one of them it took us by storm and we weren't properly prepared for it not under president mandela still less under president mbeki
0: we'll get to that 2050 justice edwin cameron in the house 0891 104 207 less than 10 minutes to go as if we needed less time, we have to take a quick ad break. We'll be back. Please stay tuned. Song is on, my on SFM. Best day so far of my short radio life. Let's make it a good one. Mashiya in Bloemfontein. Good evening.
6: Yes, uh, good evening. I'm very, very happy with the layout, uh, what uh, the judge was saying. Now, the problem now we uh, you know experiencing now, like what is happening in Johannesburg, Is a problem. What I think South Africa now is stranded. It's stranded. It cannot go over. The former president Mandela, he succeeded to build RDP houses for the whole country. And then he says it's going to take five years and then he's going to leave the office. The remaining other president who is coming is youth development, job creation, issue of land distribution and other 14 structures but they are not be able to be done I asked the professor can maybe he help us how to go into uh, you know uh, you know uh, emigrate to, to to the future because our people are stranded like now when you want to cross the the big rivers like the animals the crocodiles and everything mm-hmm. there. they are blocked at the you mm-hmm. know at a, at a, at a, at a, at a
1: I agree with you, Masia. Let, let, let me let me will, answer your li- question.
6: I will, I will listen on the radio.
1: Let, thank you so much, Masia, and thank you for a very interesting question. The w- the way I understand your question is that the Constitution promises us a society of dignity, equality, where everyone has the basic means of life, including food, shelter, water, education. But we're not there yet. We still have too much dispossession, too much inequality, too much gender violence this week, shamefully, too much race discrimination, too much homophobia against people like me uh, LGBTI uh, people. Uh. So how do we cross that? And the answer is a long one, and it's a difficult one. We've got to do it ourselves. We've got to build the boats ourselves. The Constitution gives us the tools, the tools and the blueprint to build those boats to get onto the other side that Messiah bids us to go to.
0: Thanks, Judge. Final call, Tlantla from Durban, 2054.
1: Thank
2: you. Thank you so uh, Good evening, Judge.
1: Good evening. How are you, in Tlantla?
2: I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank Not you. all of us uh, agree with the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. We're still challenging it, but we to respect it. Yes. We are going to challenge it. We deem it as we did when we... Uh,
0: uh,
1: learning about education but still challenging it. But I think rightly so if you don't mind me saying so, I think one of the strong points in South Africa is the people are sceptical. They don't accept authority. They say, why this constitution? Why Mandela? Why Cameron? And all of that's good. That's the strength of South Africa, Uh, that we challenge each other.
2: Yes, we're still challenging it. As the PRM, the President of the PRM by the way, People's Revolutionary Movement, we're challenging the, the preamble of the constitution. I Do, don't you mind the, Do you have a question,
0: Chancellor? Do you have a question for I, the
2: judge? I have a question. Please ask it. What is your view on uh, public Mokwebani? Thank you very on much. On all these things that have happened, because I think uh, there has been a, pro- a prepared attack against her.
0: Short and sweet. Thank isn't, you very much. By, by Thank by you,
2: yeah, you
1: know, Tlantla, I can't express a view on public protector Busu Siwem mm-hmm. because I haven't read all her reports and I wouldn't express a view in the public domain. I've expressed one view as a member of the Constitutional Court which was on one of her reports, the ABSA Bank Lifeboat mm. Reserve Bank and there my two colleagues Justice Sisi Kampepe whose uh, surname originally also was Butalezi, incidentally in Tlantla because uh, of her, her position in the Zulu royal family. And Justice Leona Taron found that the public protector had forsaken her duties and had been dishonest, and that's why there was a special costs order against her. That's all I can say, and I can refer you to read the judgment. There will be more judgments. I don't know what they're going to say, but I cannot speak generally about the public protector. 2056.
0: Justice Edwin Cameron has less than four minutes the first judgment, 2001, SA732CC, ex parte, President of RSA, Constitutionality of the Liquor Bill. First judgment, 2000. Last judgment. Muelasse and others versus Director General for the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform and another. That was terrible. And talking about the judgment itself now. The dereliction of duty on behalf of the minister, and successive ministers. And I suppose your legacy followed you in that judgment because you were really fighting for very vulnerable people whose only hope was this judgment.
1: I think so, Songhezo. You see, it, it's, it's really what Masia raised when he phoned in just now. We've got this split, this difference, this divergence, this disjunct between what we've promised our people. We've got beautiful laws against gender violence, against homophobia in favor of labor uh, labor tenants, Mm, These mm. were people on farms who worked the land in exchange for offering uh, labor to the farmer. And the act said you can get that land that you're living on and the land that you're sowing your crops on, the land that you're keeping your cattle on, and nothing happens for 20 years. So we didn't have the state machinery, the bureaucratic apparatus, to translate the promise of the Constitution and the statute into reality for all of these tens of thousands of people. That's what the judgment was about. And that's what our failure, our failure, because it's us, it's you and me and the bureaucrats, the people who are paid, not the unemployed, the marginalized and the dispossessed. Absolutely. It's our failure.
0: 2058, Walter Bengo, who's my good friend who's in studio with us because he wanted me to say this. Judge Cameron, did you know every year around Easter time, top university students who are master debaters assemble in your name at the Justice Edwin Cameron Invitational Debating Tournament hosted by our alma mater, all of us in this room, Stellenbosch University, to effectively get wasted on what they call yucca, which is a brewery of a lot of lemon juice, a lot of lime cordial, and a lot of vodka, all in the name of debating and In Justice Edwin Cameron, Invitational Tournament's name.
1: Did you know that? I did not know it, and it's a very, very honourable pursuit. (laughs) One that I strongly commend to all budding law students.
0: That's a classic retort. No conversation is complete in talking to and about Justice Edwin Cameron without
1: mentioning these two words. Elizabeth Molot. Yes. My wonderful, wondrous, magnificent, efficient, beautiful secretary, for the last uh, nine years ten months yes exactly she's been with me and it's been an absolute pleasure i've learnt uh, enormous amounts from her she's given enormously to me i would not have been able to be the judge and the public impossible. person i am without elizabeth mulatto
0: absolutely impossible you want to find a speech that you gave somewhere sometime somehow somewhere and sometime for her are reference marks that are enough for her to find that speech within the minute Tremendous.
1: She knows my life almost better than I know it. And she was everybody's, she was every clerk's go-to person. Exactly. In in the truest sense of the word. Quite remarkable person of acumen, intelligence, efficiency and sharpness and quick doing. 87 constitutional court
0: judgments later in some 186 judgments spread between the high court, the SCA, the constitutional court. He is the embodiment of dignity equality and freedom the three founding provisions of our constitutional order it has been a singular honour for me as a young person in law to have engaged a tremendous part of our history for both of the good and the bad in justice edwin cameron sir course, mkosisi it's 21 hours it's time for news